Well, good morning, Rick. I, uh, I have to admit I'm both excited to be podcasting this particular episode today, but also a little bit sad that we're wrapping up the first Peter series. I know. I've, I've enjoyed it. I, I got to tell you, I feel like uh, I feel a little lighter uh, making <laughs> our way through that. It's, it's a big deal. Um, I tend to think in series, not just individual sermons mm-hmm. and being able to, to get through a series and to see how people responded to it. Uh, people were bringing uh, these, these notebooks that, uh, that you and your team put together um, and bringing them every week and taking notes and using them to facilitate their conversations and their mm-hmm. own uh, personal growth. I To see so many people excited about not just studying the Bible, but studying it to better understand it so they could apply it to their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, that what a privilege to be a part of. So I just want to say to everyone who's listening, who you were a part of a small group or you just listened to messages and whatever way that you engaged, uh, man, this has been fantastic for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've enjoyed being a part of this journey with you. letter. It's been a great series. Mm-hmm. I've heard wonderful things from people in their small group experiences, mm-hmm. really diving in to see not just what does the Bible say, but how does the Bible inform the way that I live my life? Oh, yeah. And that's been uh, yeah. exciting to see. Absolutely. I think Peter has a lot to say uh, to us today. And I, oh, there's a pastor who I really respect in New York City. It's not Tim Keller. It's a guy named John Tyson. He said, this is really the manual for modern day Christians in the West, especially the United States. This is This should be our go-to mm. New Testament letter because it's so relevant for the kinds of things that we're navigating. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, today we get to enjoy one last discussion on First Peter. Uh, chap- chapter 5 is the content for today. It's what you were preaching on this last week. And uh, mm-hmm. you kind of hit two major areas out of chapter 5, and they might have seemed a little bit disparate. We've got uh, sure. the, the topic of leadership and, yeah. uh, and specifically kind of the difference maybe in the way that we perceive how leadership structures worked Mm -hmm. uh, in our day-to-day versus in the time when Peter was writing. Mm -hmm. And then you took us on a a whole journey with an amazing experience you had in Africa early this year and the concept of demon possession. Yeah, so if you're listening, (laughs) ready to hear that story, we'll probably say that towards more towards the end. Um, But but, uh, stay listening in this episode. I'm going to give you the full unedited version. And there are things about the story that do not make me look good. Mm. I mean, there's some things I'm like, huh, not my best moment. But... uh, I really learned something in it, and uh, I'm excited to share that a little bit more with everyone who's listening. We'll look forward to that, too. But uh, as we key in on some of the highlights of First Peter 5 and, and what you had preached this last week, one verse that many people know, maybe the, the most famous verse out of First Peter 5, wasn't one that you spent a whole lot of time on mm-hmm. uh, in this per- per- particular message, and that's verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Yes. This is a beloved verse and maybe one that's typically lifted out of its context and and probably not necessarily misapplied. Sure. But uh, but it's fascinating to see it in its context. That's right. Every every time we quote a verse in isolation, we're always taking it from a context. That doesn't mean it's out of context. It's only out of context if you're trying to apply it in a way that would contradict the original context in which it was it was given. So we would never would never throw shade to just quoting a verse in, in isolation. But I I agree with you. Uh, studying it and looking at it in context, it is all about our relationship with authority and the anxiety and the insecurity that that can produce at times. Mm-hmm. And Peter is just giving some really relevant, helpful, practical advice on how to apply the gospel in our own hearts and minds when we're in that. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I said I think it's probably a universal experience to have at least some sort of discomfort from at times when you're relating to somebody who's in a position over you or who has authority or power that you don't have. So Svea, I'm gonna just kind of throw this back at you a little bit. Do you think I'm overspeaking? Have you have you experienced that? Say more about what you're trying to get at. Well, there's somebody who you report to, or there's somebody who has a position of authority or leadership, and then your relationship with them, sometimes you just feel like, I don't know, I feel a little uncomfortable, I don't know if I can totally trust, or what are they going to say about me, or or how do I... 
Yeah. Can you relate to that? I mean, that? you are kind of my boss, so <laughs> sure. you want me to say that right now. <laughs> well, no, I wasn't making I wasn't making I wasn't making it about me, but I'm not the only boss that you've ever had. Yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised. No, I would you were not... a better boss than I've had in, in many. And absolutely I've had people over authority of me in other contexts where I think I'm not sure that they are really thinking about how this is going to affect me sure. or they've got my best interest at heart in all of this. In a previous podcast, we were talking about identity and the story we're telling ourselves about ourselves and you talked about how you felt embarrassed on the stage one time and why did what mm. what did you say you said Rick is going to be disappointed in yes, me I it, did. right but mm-hmm. let's imagine let's imagine that I was that would produce kind of the that feels of anxiety yes. and tension and insecurity and all I, everybody can re, everybody can relate I at least I can and I I, I don't want to speak for too strongly for other people but man I mean this <laughs> it seems like everybody I know can can relate to this and Peter's saying listen in those moments, you're going to trust God. And we're going to talk about this. This is specifically in the context of church relationships with leadership. We're going to trust God. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And we're not ignoring, and this is in no way, this is in no way a license or prescription to ignore bad behavior by leaders. But number one, number one, it's, it's me, it's me and Jesus. Am I trusting him? Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that I know that I'm trusting him, one of the evidences or the fruit of me trusting in him is I'm going to be able to be like him and follow him into being humble. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's not a one way thing. Um, everybody is supposed to be humble. Um, well, it seems Peter's also pulling at another string on this t- too, with the idea of calling us all to mm-hmm. aspire to leadership, to be people who are willing to serve. And yet, mm-hmm. in this immediate context, he's telling people who are younger, hey, humble yourselves. All of us need to take this attitude of humility. Don't be jumping ahead of your skis here. There's sure. a time for you to be humble, to respect mm-hmm. your elders, because it's God who will raise you up at the appropriate time. So we've been saying a lot around here, leadership is a destination of discipleship. And if I would have had more time, if I was allowed to speak for 55 minutes or an hour or whatever, you know, I would have more time to, to draw this out. But Peter is, it seems as though he's assuming Every single one of you are on a trajectory of influence and leadership. Mm-hmm. And those of you who are younger, you're not yet viewed by others as a leader, but you want to be. So this is what you do. Be humble and trust in God. And you're feeling some feels in there. And he uses mm-hmm. the word anxiety for that. Trust God with that. Throw that on him. Mm-hmm. Let him carry that for you, right? Mm-hmm. And let him comfort you in this. And I remember back when I was a young leader and I was a young aspiring leader and I wanted to have a seat at the table. And you know what? They didn't give me a seat at the table and they shouldn't have because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I, I wasn't ready for, for a seat at the table. And I had ideas and I wanted to be listened to and I wanted to participate. I wanted all the things, right? And sometimes I'd get frustrated frustrated. And um, the kind of stuff that Peter's talking about is the kind of stuff that I needed in the in those mm-hmm. moments. So it's so good. Um, and again, just his assumption that he seems to be riding with that everybody's on a trajectory of leadership. If you are older, if you have more experience, if you have more maturity, you are leading others who are looking up to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we should all be aspiring to that. Yeah. Whether that puts us in a formal position or not, that disposition and that intentional use of our influence to help others take a step towards Jesus or their next step with Jesus, every every Christian, every follower of Jesus should be aspiring to that. Mm-hmm. And the, but the emphasis here is on humility, not mm. on chronological age or even absolutely, um, age absolutely. Or, or youth or or being younger in any context. We have some wonderful young leaders who yeah, are humble people, yeah. and and they have true gifts mm-hmm. that are apparent in the way that they're leading and. And so it's not that anyone has to wait till they're a certain mm-hmm. age to be yeah. an appropriate leader. So I use this quote by John. I just say, I just, I say John Chrysostom. I probably should say John Chrysostom. You know, it's probably the better. I'm just being lazy. John Chrysostom. It's like Augustine, Augustine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so, you know, he talks about, you know, the first thing that you need to want is to not want it. And um, it really, sometimes the word ambition is used as a bad word in, in Christian circles. Uh, I don't think ambition is a bad thing. But ambition or aspiration for authority is not the same thing 
as ambition and a desire to be able to serve mm-hmm. and influence and lead. Mm-hmm. And those, the, it, it's easy to make them the same thing or for them to get jumbled up together. And he was really cautioning, cautioning us against that. And I so appreciate that. And I think he's just really standing on the shoulders of Jesus there and what Jesus taught in, in Mark chapter 10. Um, and man, what Jesus had to say about, listen, this is the way leaders in the world do it. They, they're just exercising authority people not not so with you, mm-hmm. right? And so those of us who, uh, when we aspire to leadership, we aspire to leadership so that we can serve others, mm-hmm. not so that we can get something. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the way, in, in the way of Jesus, it is fundamentally different mm-hmm. than anywhere else yeah, in the world. It's not about ladder climbing that's right. in any way. As Absolutely. you pointed out in mm-hmm. the message, it's much more about descending into sure. a position of, of being able to serve others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very powerful. Well, let's transition to one of the ideas from the message that for many people might have been a bit of a new idea, a little Mm -hmm. novel idea, but it's not a new idea in the sense of it hasn't been there all along. And that's the the truth that all of the positions listed in 1 Peter and the way that leaders are referred to Mm -hmm. uh, in their original words were somewhat interchangeable for the same person, although not necessarily in their role or in their duty. That's right. So, yeah, he's talking about one leadership role, and that leadership role is what we mean when we say the word pastor, right? It is the it is someone, or uh, we could say who is who is a who is in a leadership of shepherd a shepherding position over this over this congregation. There are three words that are used to describe that role or that office of leadership. Uh, it's presbyteros, episkopos, and poimen. Um, and so uh, presbyteros is where we get our word elder. Um, it's also probably how we got our word priest over the years. Uh, this the, the wooden kind of straightforward literal meaning of the word is old man or older or an older man. Uh, in Titus, there's the feminine version that's also uh, used to describe the role and the responsibility of older women in the church as they are investing in and teaching in uh, those uh, the the ones who are younger than them. Um, and, and Titus also uses the then the the masculine form to talk about uh, the older guys who should be investing in those who are who are younger than them. And so, and then um, episkopos is where we get our word overseer or or sometimes even even bishop. Uh, the verb form presbyteros does not have uh, does not have a verb form. Episkopos does, and it's literally to watch over, to oversee, or to or to manage. So this is who you are. And this is this is what you do, mm-hmm. and then poimen literally means shepherd. Um, it's ultimately where we get our our word pastor, and so it is a person. It's in a noun form, but the verb form is pastoring or shepherding the the, the work the work of a shepherd. And those three words are distinct individual words. They each have their own range of meaning. They are not synonyms, but they are interchangeable terms for one singular position, and that singular position would be the pastor of the congregation, or you could say the elder of the congregation. There are churches who choose not to use the term pastor, but but when they're talking about pastors, they just use the word elder. And then there are many other churches, probably most churches, they use the word pastor, but what they're really talking about is that one position that is described with these three distinct words, presbyteros, episkopos, and poimen. So clarify that again, because I think it's it can be a little bit muddy to hear that they're interchangeable terms, mm-hmm. and yet they're not the same thing. They're not they're not identical. Terms. They're not identical words. They're not synonyms. Mm-hmm. They are they are distinct words with their own range of meaning. But these three words are used to describe one singular position. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it was in the in the New Testament church. That's not the only position of influence and leadership in, in the church. We also had we also there were also deacons, right? A deacon is separate. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the points that I was trying to make is in the New Testament church culture, in the first century church, these terms for leadership were used fluidly. 
we have titles. You are a pastor of spiritual formation. Mm-hmm. I am the I am the lead pastor. It would be in our culture and the way that we use terms to describe leadership, it would be weird for us to say, Svea, as a pastor, you're a deacon, right? One, our church doesn't even doesn't even mm-hmm. have deacons right now, but th- like that that just seems weird. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't work, and people would be confused by that. And yet in the New Testament and in New Testament church culture, you have a guy like the Apostle Paul who would say, I am a deacon of the gospel. He said that in Ephesians. Mm-hmm. So he used the term deacon to, to describe himself. And so they didn't think so much in... In titles. In titles. As much as oh, responsibilities. I, got, I apologize. I get, I, <laughs> I leaned forward to get too close to the microphone. Um, yeah, they didn't... They, they thought probably more in responsibilities, and that's why they used a variety of terms, mm-hmm. but they understood there were different positions. Being an apostle was one thing. Being a teacher was one thing. Being an evangelist was one thing. Being a prophet or a prophetess was one thing. Being a being an elder uh, uh, was one thing. Being a deacon was one thing. Um, so and I think yet, maybe to sum up yeah. what you're saying, each of these different titles yeah. point to different responsibilities, different duties, different yeah, aspects but I would say of each the of way these that they're serving the church. Each of these different words describe a facet of what a particular leader was doing, mm-hmm. and that part there was one of a. And the person was in one singular, particular leadership role, and that's what we mean by pastor. And so you are an elder, you are an overseer, you are a shepherd. Mm -hmm. And when we say pastor, we should be thinking about those three things. Mm -hmm. So deacon is not included in that list. That's right. Peter just wasn't talking about about deacons and... um, in chapter five, if he had them in mind, he never he never used those he never used those words. Mm-hmm. Um, can you transition a little bit to just let's consider how it looked differently mm-hmm. when Peter was writing this as to how it is now? You've already touched on this a little bit, but I think it's important for us to recognize that when Peter was writing, it was a very different environment. This was not the kind of thing where someone who was maybe going, who was the pastor of a church, wasn't necessarily a vocational pastor in the way that you and I are now, uh, but may have been someone who was the clear leader of the, this this home church environment. Yeah, and the expectation the expectation was um, that these that the the individuals who served in these roles that it wasn't simply a volunteer position. They probably started off as lay leaders, but the kind of continual expectation throughout the New Testament is that uh, they are worth, you you need to Mm -hmm. remunerate them for the Mm -hmm. work that they're doing, especially those who teach, Mm -hmm. right? And so you see a plurality of pastoral leadership in the early church, and maybe some were more gifted teachers than others, probably so, and probably some taught more than others, and the Apostle Paul seemed to seem to say so. Especially those who teach, you need you need to be you need to pay for them, you need to pay them because it takes time to work and get get prepared to 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 do um, to do all this. And so, I would imagine that in a variety of New Testament churches, uh, some of the elders start off as volunteers, but they're probably in most churches in not too long of a period of time. And I'm I'm assuming here, based on how I'm reading the trajectory of the New Testament, that these individuals were given financial compensation mm-hmm. for the leadership that they provided in their congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, I was driving at a little bit different aspect of okay. this, though, in the sense that you know now we can consider something like being a pastor a profession, something where oh, you and yeah. I have both I gone to school yeah. to become a pastor. That's right. We've, we've received extra graduate education mm-hmm. in that, uh, and yet that's not necessarily the picture no. Of what was looking at here? No, that did, no, that didn't happen. That mm-hmm. that was not the that was not. While if you it didn't were, yet exist, <laughs> it did not it did not yet exist. Although there probably was kind of a reference for it if you grew up uh, in Jewish culture, because there were professional rabbis, uh, but there wasn't this vocation of pastor that just stood on its own. That would uh, that 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 wouldn't happen till at least the second century. So that brings me to a, an excellent question that was emailed in. Um, with as we're looking at scripture mm-hmm. and uh, and and as we're trying to sort through the difference between how we might understand something in our current culture versus how it was originally written, uh, you you had a graph that or a graphic that showed us 
who we are. And then there mm-hmm. was the picture of, of our culture or something representing that and re- something so, representing. Yeah, there's an icon. There's there's me. Mm-hmm. And then I'm reading. This is the natural. I read through the lens of my cultural experiences. I read through the lens of my experiences with church. And then at the end is the Bible. And so I'm seeing the Bible through those. Mm-hmm. And really what we're trying to do is flip that around and where I see my culture and my cultural experiences and my experiences with church through reading the Bible. So that's what we're that's what we're aiming at. But I really appreciated the person who wrote in and, and just wanted to hear more about this. The question being, well, how do we actually do that? How do we separate ourselves when we're reading scripture from our cultural experience, from world experience, all, all of that kind of thing? What does that look like for someone in their day-to-day life? Sure. Um, one, so we're gonna we're gonna sit down and we're gonna we're gonna um, we're just gonna read. Right, and we're going to trust that the Holy Spirit is helping us. One of His roles is to illuminate Scripture to help us to see what's right there in the text, so that we can better understand. We're going to read it carefully and prayerfully. Right, we're going to read it. We're just going to start off reading in context. It is while it's okay to quote verses in isolation or to think about a verse in isolation. We always want to go back and when we're studying, when we're reading, to read it in the context of the whole chapter, to read in the context of the whole letter. And then the next circle is to read in the context of that same author and then to read it in the context of the of the entire Bible. And so that helps us as we're just we just do that. I would say well over 80% of the time, we're gonna see with stunning clarity exactly what's trying to be communicated. And then as we and then as we're able, and there are all kinds of resources and tools available to help us do this, we're gonna look at uh, linguistic context, cultural context. Uh, historic context to help influence so that we can so so that we can better we can better understand. So I remember as a teenager hearing things like Jesus said, you know, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Well, what does that mean? Mm. Well, I need somebody to explain to me the agricultural um, the the imagery that's being used there to communicate what Jesus is saying is I'm not putting all this weight on you. I'm helping you carry it. Mm-hmm. And it's life-giving and it, you know, it's refreshing. It's good. I'm actually building you up and you're not, a, you're not alone. Um, my goodness. So there's, there's so much. And everything I, from a good study Bible that has robust good, notes and it can help with that kind of thing, or there's commentaries. Good and, study Bibles mm-hmm. have this, commentaries have this, resources like the Bible Project mm-hmm. have this. And so yeah, there, there are countless things available um, uh, to be able to use. So as, as you do this, I would just encourage you with, with all the free and amazing resources that we have, let me, I'm going to go through this slow. I would say don't simply just read the text of the Bible without anything else. And I'm not saying that the Bible isn't sufficient, but if you really want to understand what it means, use all the available resources to help you see what the author intended to communicate. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Did I say that in a slippery way? It didn't sound slippery. I'm thinking of the person who might be saying, boy, you're lucky if I've got half an hour in my day to read, or maybe even 10 minutes in my day to sit down and be devoted to reading scripture. Now it feels like you're heaping on a lot of extra homework on me. Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to do that. But I would just say, you know, um, if you can get a get a study Bible. And just say I'm going to read. I'm going to read a chapter a day, and mm-hmm. and just read read all the notes that come along with it. That's that would that would be very helpful to you. Or what are you doing? Are you driving in the car? Um, play. Um, use the um, the Bible Project podcast. Use the phenomenal. Bible Project podcast. Yeah, super super helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, get in a small group, right? Mm-hmm. And so our pastoral staff say you do a lot of work on this. We're trying to give you all the resources that you need to be able to do this. We're we're mm-hmm. trying to bring it to you. We're gonna we're committing to do the hard work so that you don't have to. And so like this incredible uh, study guide that came along with the First Peter series. Everybody who was in a small group got one. Um, a lot of people who weren't even in small groups were able to get their hands on some and they found mm-hmm. it incredibly helpful. We Let us help you um, with that as well. And simply when you are reading the text, even when you don't have other resources alongside it, just being aware of that bias mm-hmm. and disciplining yourself not yeah. to be thinking that this is the same thing in 2023 mm-hmm. as it was in the first century. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me um, get back to another question that was sent in and it had to do with the 
the overlay of how leadership in the early church was often done by lay leaders. And, and even in, in our context today, you were calling many of us in the congregation to leadership. We have hundreds and hundreds of lay leaders here yeah, at Autumn Ridge. We do. Um, so the question is, how does the fact that we are lay leaders, that we are, in fact, as the Bible calls us, a priesthood of believers, mm-hmm. how does that influence the org chart that you shared in the message? You had a, a picture going from our congregation through different levels of leadership to Jesus himself? Yeah, that's a, that's a really, that's a really good question. And so it goes back to, um, how we read Ephesians chapter four. Um, and one of the things that I said that our primary responsibility as pastors and staff is to empower and resource members of the congregation to do the work of the ministry. And so the way that it influences the org chart is we don't see it as a hierarchy of ascending to, to prominence. We see it as clarifying what people are responsible for in particular roles. And so if you are a pastor or you are a staff member, your ultimate and primary overarching responsibility is to resource and empower and give people everything they need to be able to lead within our church because we all are um, we, we all are a royal priesthood mm-hmm. in Christ. Mm-hmm. All right, punchier question coming up next. Because okay. a follow-up to this one was if we saw lay people involved in all of these different roles of serving the church, mm-hmm. and if elders, pastors, and priests could all refer to the same position, absolutely. why aren't there women on Autumn Ridge's elder board? Yeah, that's a question that our elders have opted to wrestle with starting back in late 2021 as an assignment for 2022. Um, and so recognize that that would just be one piece in the puzzle of why we're, why we're having that conversation. It is something that I was asked by the elder board. They said, Rick, would you lead us in a rigorous study of, of, of this very, very question? We are in the middle of it. We are in the middle of it right now. Um, and we expect to be done sometime uh, sometime this year, um, I'm not. I'm not in a position where I can make promises about timelines or specific dates. Uh, I am a part of this process. I'm not even the driver of the process. Our elder board is the driver of this process, and I'm a. I'm a partner in that. Um, but I would say, for anyone to go, wait a second here, um, elder, overseer, pastor. That's all three different words to describe one singular position. And we're saying women can do one, and we're going to say, okay, women can be pastors, but then we're going to take elder and separate that out, and we have a different position, say women can't do that. It feels like it feels like that's intention. It feels like that's in contradiction. I would say, yeah, that's a, listen, you're an astute listener. You identified uh, an area of tension in the way that our church practice practices uh, leadership. We're leaning into it, and we're talking about it right now. Um, sometime um, this year or early next year, I think we'll be ready to share a little bit more about that process. Mm-hmm. And I, I would imagine anyone listening to me would feel unsatisfied by that. We're just in the middle of the process. We're wrestling through it. We're 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 trying to answer um, these same questions and carefully and faithfully submit ourselves to what scripture teaches. And we're just in the middle of that process right now. I do appreciate that our church is one that's willing to engage hard questions mm-hmm. and to, to address tough topics. Absolutely. And I'm definitely praying for the elder board as they wrestle through this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but speaking of tough topics and uh, and maybe things that are, are sometimes hard to talk about, mm-hmm. concepts like demon possession yeah. and spiritual warfare and the reality of the spirit world, this is not something that is uh, usually discussed weekly <laughs> no, in, no. in our church or others, and, yeah. and not that we're necessarily hiding from anything in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had another question that came in um, this last week after the message uh, that was that was asking exactly that, asking why are, as this writer put in quotes, fringe topics of the Bible that are still foundational to the gospel, not often discussed, things like demon possession and the very real spiritual warfare going on around us every day. Also, he brings up spiritual gifts, maybe more the charismatic mm-hmm. gifts, like speaking in tongues mm-hmm. or miraculous healings. Sure, um, There's a discomfort that a lot of Western Christians have yeah. with 
the role of the Holy Spirit with the role of mm-hmm. demonic spirits mm-hmm. uh, in the world. Um, before you tell us your own experience story that you had in Guinea recently, do you want to just address this question? Why is this something that isn't often discussed in the Western church? Well, if I say that it's not discussed often, then we are cutting out probably the fastest growing denomination Mm, or mm -hmm. group of churches, not only in the United States, but across Central and South America. Mm -hmm. Um, They talk about this sort of stuff. We're kind of more Pentecostal churches, more Pentecostal Mm -hmm. churches. Yeah. Or just kind of in that in that neighborhood mm-hmm. of, of, of churches. Um, yeah, they, they talk about this stuff uh, quite a bit. And so I don't want to unintentionally kind of erase them or minimize them or pretend. But if you're, but if you're talking about churches that feel more like an Autumn Ridge type church, mm-hmm. why don't we talk, why, why don't our churches talk about it more? Again, I'm probably going to have an unsatisfying answer. I can't speak for other pastors. I can't speak for, I can't speak for other churches, but I will talk about some tendencies. One is um, we're the kind of churches that we really want to primarily speak about what the text speaks about. And so um, if the text doesn't doesn't address that, then it's probably not going to come up. Mm. I, I brought it up because it's in the text. Right. Now, someone could say, well, it kind of feels like pastors avoid texts that 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 talk about this maybe you're right i don't know i i, I again i'm not an expert on that i well, can't really the beauty of going through a book like first peter where you didn't get to avoid it this, yeah uh, absolutely set itself so up. I, I in can, the context of this being in yeah. verse 8 of chapter 5 talking about our enemy the devil prowling around like a roaring lion yeah. seeking someone to devour so we got to address it we, mm-hmm. we just we got to address what's what's going on there with some of the the other stuff about uh gifts of speaking in tongues and prophecy and healing and and, and all all of that uh, that 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 kind of stuff. There's something kind of else going on in the background um, that might be helpful to address just briefly. And one is it's it's the theology and it's the understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what what His role is. And again, I hate it whenever someone refers to the Holy Spirit as an it. It's mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit. It's a person. It's mm-hmm. a and and the. You know, the pronouns are, are he yes. and him used for the Holy Spirit throughout the New Testament. So we should do that as well. We don't want to we don't want to demean his his value and his role. But the role of the Holy Spirit is to make much of Jesus. And so a lot of Protestant churches and a lot of churches kind of in the tradition or genre of a Autumn Ridge type church with recognizing that we want to make a big deal out of what the Holy Spirit wants to make a big deal out of, which is Jesus. And so sometimes what that means is we accidentally talk about him uh, too infrequently, mm-hmm. or we don't we don't teach about him enough. Um, and so that's something we, we want to get right. I mean, we've been, if you've listened to this podcast um, for a little while, you've heard us talk, we've got this message series on the Holy Spirit and his role in the believer's life. And it's we're probably going to do that series 2024 20, that mm-hmm. that's that's coming we, he we, he's a member of the trinity we need we need to talk about him he he lives inside of us he's working inside of us peter makes that clear beginning in chapter 1 i mean the sanctifying work of the holy spirit in us and so we got to make that clear why do other churches not talk about it i can't speak to that do we talk about him enough i don't know but we want to we want to talk more so mm-hmm. yeah i look forward to that I, series i get the, i get the tension there. i get the tension that somebody that somebody might feel. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if I have a great answer right now. Well, I think, um, you know, I think Satan is crafty mm-hmm. in the way that he can act in a way that's very blatant in some mm-hmm. cultures where the reality of the spirit world is not questioned. Yeah. And yet here in our culture where we tend to be much more science-driven, fact-based, reason-oriented, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, things of a spiritual nature can feel a little creepy. And, Isn't that weird? And we that, downplay it. That we, I mean... Like we believe in the supernatural and, and we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe that he rose from the dead. We believe we're sealed by the spirit and that he is in us and he empowers us for yeah. the work of the ministry. And yet, and yet we can feel goofy and uncomfortable talking about spiritual, supernatural things. And so we just got to lean in. Yeah. We just, we just have to, we just have to lean into it. And there's probably one other thing that's going on here too, is if you read the trajectory of what's happening in churches and the gospel movement and the New Testament, in some ways, these um, awesome, fun, phenomenal 
uh, sensational, but not in a derogatory way, work of the Holy Spirit early on is like venture capital getting mm-hmm. the church going, mm-hmm. right? And demonstrating power and credibility behind those who are uh, preaching the gospel so that they can better see who Jesus is and trust and follow him. And as churches become established and as apostolic teaching takes root, we see fewer and fewer and fewer um, kind of these amazing supernatural works mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit. But what we see is churches taking root in communities and spreading and people coming to follow Jesus. Like that's the ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. And so um, sometimes pastors just intuitively recognize that. And so um, because they see that uh, they see that trajectory in the New Testament. You, it comes up in their preaching, as in they don't talk about some of the, soup, the the amazing, awesome things that the Holy Spirit does because we're focusing on the Word and how the Holy Spirit uses the Word to bring transformation mm-hmm. to people. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about these things. Well, maybe another aspect of it for pastors especially is not wanting to make the experience about themselves. Sure. And, and I think that, uh, if I may speak for you a little bit, I think that's maybe been some of your inhibition from wanting to tell the story that you are uh, that you began to share and that you're going to share uh, here with us. And yet I think the story has a lot of power and a lot of encouragement for us and the truth of yeah. the spiritual realm. I got some encouragement to share it early on, like immediately. You need to tell the church mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and but, I mean, from, from, from guys who know what they're talking about, and I was just uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was because it it's because of what's mentioned in this passage. I thought, oh, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to tell the story. Okay, so tell the story. All right, set here, the stage for the, us. The long form of is, we were is a it was a Wednesday. Um, we we're at the uh, location where the medical conference is happening in uh, Guinea in West Africa. In Guinea and in, in West Africa, we're in the we're in the town of Mamou, and uh, beautiful. I just uh, just a lovely lovely location. I, I lo- lots of trees, lots of shade, and and where we had been meeting people was in a gazebo, and I had an opportunity to go on a walk with one of our elders, Sean O'Driscoll, and he and I went on an hour and a half walk, um, just having a great time together, talking together, exploring the area. And uh, then I thought, you know, I need to, I need to get back over to the gazebo. I don't know, I don't know if I can be helpful. And and so Pastor Otis was there. Another great man from our church was there, uh, and then a local pastor was there. So I knew everybody was in capable hands. It wasn't, they didn't, they didn't need me. And so as I'm walking um, f- across the property, uh, away from Sean uh, to where they were meeting. Um, what I'm going to show you next, this is like normal kind of stuff. This is the way my brain works. I just started thinking about the time that um, the disciples were not able to cast out a demon. And uh, hmm. Jesus said, this one comes out with much prayer. If you read different translations, like my the, the textbook translation that I used in college was, uh, this one only comes out with much prayer and fasting. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what's buried in my brain when I think about um, these, these passages. And so I was just thinking, I was like, Jesus... If I had to preach on that passage, I wouldn't even know how to preach on that. Like, I don't, like, I know what you mean, but why would you say that? And what's going on there? And I'm just kicking that around in my head. And that's, that's exactly what I'm thinking about. And I turn the corner and I walk up to this gazebo and I immediately know what's happening. Hmm. It's all happening in French, um, but I had picked up enough French to know what's going on. And then I just kind of knew what's going on. So what did you see? What I, what I see is... Uh, as I see is these three men who I just mentioned, they have their hands on this woman appropriately, not inappropriately, but, Mm -hmm. and they are praying hard for her. And I walk up and I thought, I know what's going on here. They are casting a demon out of this woman. And I did not, this whole time, this whole time I'd been preaching on first Peter to, to the this, people attending the conference. To the people attending the mm-hmm. conference. So standing fast in the true grace of God is front and center in my mind. Mm. And you would think that I would run up and join them. I walked in the gazebo. I leaned back against the wall of the gazebo, and I folded my arms, and I just watched. And I thought, what is going on here? <laughs> Do I believe this? Like, I don't want to be duped. I don't want to get caught up in an emotional moment. What do I think about this? And uh, Pastor Otis and I made contact, eye contact a couple of times, but I'm just watching them, 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 them praying for, for her. And um, then there was a moment, uh, and I'm just, I'm just like, I'm like, God, what is going? What is, what is happening here? 
because I don't understand it. And um, I get, I've talked about my own insecurities. I don't want to look bad. I don't want to <laughs> look dumb. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hanging back. Not super. In hindsight, not very proud of myself. But I'm just and I'm analyzing. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm praying, God, would you help me understand this? And so I'm just like I start praying very safe prayers. If you want to call them timid prayers, call them timid prayers. But I start praying be very safe prayers. God, whatever's going on, would you rescue this woman from this insanity? Right. So that's what I'm. That's what I'm praying for. Would you bring her freedom and comfort? And she looks at me, Hmm. and it scared me. It was like she looked right through me, and I immediately thought about the time that this demon-possessed person said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And I'm just like, am I about to get exposed here <laughs> for, being, for being a friend? Like, am I a real Christian? And like, I, it's just like, it was, I, was, I felt myself gripped huh. by anxiety in that moment. And, and, and so I just start, I just start, I move forward, and I sit down next to them, and, I, and I'm praying harder, and then... Um, she relaxes, and there, and, and this man from our church is talking with her, and, and and she's she's listening, and then at the name of Jesus, man, it just goes bonkers. Wow! It 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 goes bonkers. She is thrashing around. She's trying to beat her head on the floor. Uh, I used to work in a hospital as a security guard. I have a lot of experience in the in the emergency room around people who have mental health issues. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of experience in. Um, a lockdown psychiatric facility. And listen, I don't know what standard today. I can only tell you what it was like when I was going through seminary and I worked this job. It was normal to restrain people by going hands-on and physically holding them down. It was normal to um, the hospital that I worked for. They use actual restraints to to hold people mm-hmm. down and, and medication was administered. That kind of, So, so I did a, this look like that? No. No, it wasn't. It did not. It was not like that. Hmm. And I remember, um, I remember what it was like in those moments. Like I could quote to you things that people said in those moments, even though it was a long, even though it was like uh, twenty years ago. I mean, there was there was one patient. His name was Kenny, and he would say things like, "Putting in the fire truck, my tennis shoe's about to rise up." And it's like, it's <laughs> okay. so, and it's like. It's nonsense. It's it's English, but it's but it's nonsense. But when this woman was saying things like, "This is my wife. This is my body. You mm-hmm. can't have her," that was intelligible. Mm-hmm. It may not have made sense to everyone, but it wasn't nonsense. Mm-hmm. It was coherent, and that was stunning mm-hmm. for me. I'm like, okay, something is going on here. She was clenching her her hands so tight that you know her fingernails were. Um, at a point where they could cut through her own palm. And so Mm. they're trying to hold her fingers open just to gently care for this woman as she's, she's thrashing around. And then that's when the, that's when the snarling and the growling started. Mm. Um, And then it just changed to, I say defiant laughter. Um, But have you ever been in a scenario where, where someone is just like, you can't control me. You got no power over me. I'm going to do what I want. That, And they're just kind of laughing off mm-hmm. um, someone who's there trying to, it was that. Wow. It was, it was that. And so at this point, I'm just like, I'm, 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 I put my hand, I'm, I'm there helping and I'm praying and I'm, and I just said, Jesus, I don't want to be, I've got some insecurities and I don't want to look stupid and I don't want to get fooled here. But I also don't want to miss out on what you're doing and what's real. Mm -hmm. And so I just pray, Jesus, it would help me to believe that this is what I think it is, is if when she comes to, if she says, how do I get, how did I get here? And so, and then I just kind of, and I'm just in, I'm praying now, Jesus, would you deliver this woman from demon possession? No more timid, safe prayers. I'm just like, I'm in. I don't care if I look foolish. I'm in. And I care about this woman more than I care about myself. It took me a minute to get there, mm-hmm. but I eventually got there. Um, Pastor Otis was there immediately. Um, these other men were there immediately, and we're praying hard for her. This probably is 15 minutes, and she's relaxed. She sits up. We put her in a chair, and, and I said to, to one of the men from our church, I said, I, I think she's afraid. I mean, there's four guys around her. She's afraid. And he said, nope, she's lost. She doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know what. What's been going on? Hmm. First words out of her mouth were, how did I get here? Hmm. Oh. And I thought, okay, all right. <laughs> um, Jesus, you have my attention right now. Um, what had happened 
Uh, before I got there, she walked down, she sat in the chair, um, and she began to tell them, we're going to be more PG-13 right now. So if you're listening with kids, maybe you've already turned it off. But she began to talk about how she was having dreams about having uh, sex with a pa pastors in a local church, um, sexual dreams about other people. And she did not want to have sex with them. And she was she was very uncomfortable with those with the dreams that she was having. Mm -hmm. um, they scared her. Uh, she didn't want them, but she couldn't stop them at the same time. She was having dreams about um, being sucked down into dark water, and there were people in white robes who had been extending their hands out, calling to her, trying to raise, raise her out mm. of, of, of dark water. Um, she described that she had lost time, like she would just black out, mm. and she can't explain what happened during the times that she was, that she was blacked out. Um, and so she had said that all at the beginning. So now this is all, this is, she's at peace, she's at rest. I believe the demon has gone out of her at this point. And so the man from our church who's with us and Pastor Otis and um, began to share with her, these are things you told us. She, she's hor she can't believe that we mm, know these just things. Just mortified that you know her deep, dark secrets now. And in that mm -hmm. culture, a woman would never talk to a man like mm -hmm. that, especially not in this kind of setting. She could not... She wanted to know how we found out that information. Mm -hmm. And then she couldn't believe it. And we said, you told us. Mm -hmm. You told us these things. Um, we asked her how she ended up down there. She said, it basically, just a man said, you need to go there. And she doesn't remember walking. She doesn't remember getting there. She just basically what she remembers is coming too. And she remembers being told, you need to go there. And then now she is surrounded by these guys at the end of this, at the end of this ordeal. Um, she described something that ended up, what I discovered later is, is an all too common story. Um, her dad um, basically made a deal with an evil spirit in exchange for uh, personal prosperity, gave his daughter to, to an evil, to, mm -hmm. to, this, to this evil spirit. Um, it was astounding. And this woman, she was just like, I, she described not feeling like she had her strength or even control of her own body for the longest time. And now she's like, I, I, she felt great. She felt strong. She took her glasses off. She's like, I don't even need these. Mm -hmm. I, I feel, I feel fine. Uh, I can see well. Um, she's not a believer. She, she'd had a, a Bible that she had been hiding under her mattress. She didn't want her dad to know. She didn't want her family or anybody in her community to know that she had been reading. This is a totally normal thing. And that culture, if you are exploring Jesus, um, you keep that on the low because you don't want persecution. She had made some friends who were Christians, and she had come to this conference. She's a nurse. She had made some uh, friendships with some people who were Christians, and she came to the conference uh, with them. Um, and she was just, I mean, you could just tell she's trying to figure out what had just happened to her. You can see it in her body language. You could see it in her face. You could hear it in the words that she's saying. She's trying to figure out what happened to her. She was like in the hip pocket of that pastor, the local pastor for the rest of the time mm -hmm. uh, that the conference uh, went on. She seemed so like he's a, sharing Jesus with he's her. He's sharing Jesus mm -hmm. with her. And she's she's trying to process what just happened. She's got fear of her how her own family is going to respond and what her dad's going to say. But I remember one time she said, you know what, I'm my own woman. I can make this decision for myself. Mm. Um, it was, it was powerful. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. And I felt, I've never felt so small. So explain that. You said that in the message yeah. too, that you both felt so small and yet so confident. Yeah. What, what, what do you mean by it's both like, of those? It's okay. There is, it, I mean, I felt like in that moment that Jesus gave me a gift of pulling back the curtain and saying, there's, there's so much going on that you can't see. Mm -hmm. And of course, you. Of course, I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. Of course, I'm not going to lean on my own power. I have nothing to offer in that moment except my trust in Jesus and my prayer. And it was 100% him and nothing that we did. It's so, yeah, I feel small. There are things that I have no control over, no power over. I can't do anything about it. But Jesus can, and so I'm totally dependent on him. And so I'm small, and he's great, and I feel I've just felt invincible mm -hmm. because of him. Not about me, but like mm -hmm. in him. I'm like, just come what may. Mm -hmm. Come, I'll face it. I don't care. If, you're, if I'm with you, if you're with me, 
I don't care. I like, why can't we not face? And so I felt incredibly small and incredibly confident in him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was walking away. I'm like, I know the answer now. I know the answer to what I was kicking around in my mind as I walked up to the gazebo. There, the reason, the reason that there are demons that only come out with much prayer and maybe even fasting is because to show us it is not about us. It is only about Jesus to remind mm-hmm. us of we are sheep and we are under the protection and the presence of the shepherd. So in the message, you you had a great point about mm-hmm. we can't take Jesus seriously unless we also take Satan seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think the story you just shared with us helps us to see it from the other direction mm-hmm. also, yeah. that, that a story like that where it seems quite undeniable what mm-hmm. you experienced and what other... Uh, very credible people from mm-hmm. our church experienced that there is a reality oh, to yeah. the spiritual realm. And if we accept that reality of what is going on in dimensions that mm-hmm. uh, that are maybe broader than than we Americans sometimes are willing to admit, mm-hmm. um, that it speaks to the reality of Jesus too. Yeah. So I, absolutely. it like it has that has done wonders to my faith. And I'm just like I like I I feel like I'm a different person because of it. I don't know if it's the kind of thing other people can can observe, but I'm just like you know what? I don't care what happens. I trust Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I just I know that I can. I have no reason to doubt him. I have no reason for pride, and I have no reason for doubt. I have no reason for arrogance, and I have every reason for confidence. Well, as we wrap up this series, I think that uh, that brings us back quite mm-hmm. well to our series thesis about yeah. our identity is what drives our activity. Yeah. And, uh, and what you're just expressing is this refreshed confidence mm-hmm. in who you are in Christ yeah. because of what Christ has done. So let me, let me press into that a, a little bit. Um, people are going to hear this on Wednesday or later. We're recording this on Tuesday morning. Um, yesterday... There was another tragic incident of something that happened, a shooting that mm-hmm. happened at a school. Mm-hmm. Um, what is ultimately, is it just people or is there an ultimate, or is there a, an evil reality that's even behind that? Mm-hmm. And I would say there is. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said in John chapter 10, the thief comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. And I would invite you just to lean back and look around. What do you see in our world? Do we see that? And then Jesus said, I have come that you mo- to, to give you life and life to the fullest. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we're sheep. We're not, we're not sheep who carry swords. We're sheep who follow an amazing shepherd. Mm-hmm. And so let's go forward in confidence into this broken, hurting world that has been robbed from, um, that has been hit with all kinds of devastating destruction, who is in the grip of, of death, and know that Christ has come and has brought life and power, and we can share that, and his kingdom is moving and growing, and we are a part of that. We're his ambassadors. We are his ambassadors. Mm -hmm. And so let's carry it into this world because people need the hope and life that only he can give. Yeah, amen. Amen. Well, let's do that. Thank you for this series. I thought maybe you'd finish out this series by just closing us in prayer today. All right, let's do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your incredible grace and kindness and gentleness and patience. Uh, We thank you that by your spirit that you would uh, empower us to partner uh, with you and what you're doing in the world. We pray that we would be people who stand fast in this true grace that you have given us. And we're not standing fast in our own strength, but we know this is the strength that comes from you, the strength that is made possible because of what Jesus did. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is in us, and it's not about us, it's about you. We thank you for your word and the clarity that comes. And this is what we ask, that you would help us just to stand strong and to walk forward and to be humble leaders who share what we have so that others can know life and joy and truth and goodness and beauty as well. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.